Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing His ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Wow, you guys are really nice. There's like so much affection in the room right now. And you're a lot more awake than first service. It's way more hugging and talking going on, which is nice. Yeah. And good morning. Hi. Hi. I'm Denise. If we haven't met, I'm Denise Steins. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, And we're in our second week of Advent. Uh, What we're doing here at Axiom for our Advent series is we are imaginatively entering into the role of Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And um, if you don't mind pulling the painting up, this is a painting of Mary by uh, Henry Asawa Tanner. If you happen to come to Resonance last week, we had another painting of Mary by by him and um, that's a little more famous. I just love his art. Doesn't it match the weather today? I feel like it's kind of blue and dark and gloomy. But I really like this picture because I feel like it's full of vulnerability. There's darkness just all around her. And the look on her face shows her age, shows her youth and this sort of expectancy. And the only thing she has with her is that little tiny flame. I think that Mary has something to give us. Normally when I teach, I like to have my Bible and I like to have a passage and I work through it verse by verse. I enjoy that very much. Um, We're gonna do something different today. I think we know this story. If you were here last week, you heard about it from Amy, the Annunciation and just the story of Mary. But even if this is your first time in church, I'm guessing you're at least loosely familiar with Mary and the Christmas story, that an angel came to her when she was not yet married and therefore a virgin and said, miraculously, by the Spirit, you're going to be pregnant out of wedlock with the Christ. And, and this, this changed everything in her world. But we're pretty familiar with this already. So my hope today is that the truth that we already know that's in Scripture would be able to move from this cognitive space and move a little deeper into our our inner space, our inner world, our heart. The spaces are a little more vulnerable, like, like this image. I think that when vulnerability and faith come together, it forges something valuable. And I think that she has a treasure for us that was forged in these moments. And it's ours to receive and to spend. This is the inheritance of the saints that we are so wealthy with. And and that's my hope today. I'm going to pray. God, I thank you that you are with us right now. 
And while we say this is Mary's story, we know this is your story, and we're a part of that. I ask that you would give us the ability to have a posture that receives, receives whatever you want to give. I ask that as Mary points to you with her life, with her vulnerability, with her decisions and these stories, that we wouldn't look at her finger, <laughs> that we would look at what she's pointing at, that we'd be able to see you and, and then a, a adopt that same posture. And only you can give us this gift. We can't muster it up, and I can't give it out. It has to be you, Lord, who, who does, does the work. And so we invite you into this space to do your good work and to get the glory. Amen. So I think the coin, the treasure that uh, Mary has given us was her response when everything changed in her life. She was surprised in a life-altering way. Everything changes for her. And the way that she responds when this happens, she says, I am the bondservant of the Lord. May it happen to me according to your word. That's her coin that was forged in that moment that we get to take hold of. Now, your translation um, might say servant instead of bond, bond servant or bond slave. That's a fine translation because a servant is somebody who does something for someone else. It's serving someone else's needs. So that's a fine translation to say servant. I prefer the translations that say bond servant or bond slave. And the reason for that is that Mary had a real understanding of what a bond servant is, and that's what she says. She says, I am the bond servant of the Lord. And so I want us to kind of go there and learn a, a little bit about that because it isn't just Mary who is led into places of life-altering surprise. God is our good shepherd, but I promise Every one of us will be led by him into places of life-altering surprise. And the reason for that is not because he's mean or plays games with us, but the reason for that is because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And the more we spend time with God, he makes us like him. He conforms us to the image of Christ. And that means we'll start to desire the things that God desires. And we'll start to adopt some of the responses and behaviors that Christ uses. But even if you spend decades of this, and you are the most faithful follower of Christ, and you reach, you know, the end of your life, decades, you will still be surprised in life-altering ways and the reason is because he is a different entity. We are made in his likeness. We'll never be made Christ. God is God, and his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So she gives us, Mary gives us something to do when we're surprised, especially in life-altering ways. And that thing to do is to adopt an attitude that says, I am the bondservant of the Lord. So what's bondservant? Uh, it really means a slave, but like in the Old Testament days, slavery was just a thing. It's still a thing today. I mean, slavery is rampant all over the world, and it is a horrible thing. And it was horrible in our nation, as we know, here in America. The way that slavery is practiced today and in our country uh, would be an absolute abomination to the people of Israel and the guidelines that were given to them on how to treat slaves. 
absolutely, where people would be executed if they were treating their slaves in these ways, because people are not cattle. People have dignity. And, and God wanted to see to that. Now, I personally don't believe that God condones slavery, but that's a topic for another day, and you can Google it if you want. But the fact of the matter was, there were slaves in, in the days of, of the Old Testament, and so the laws that the nation of Israel had were very protective laws. And it was common for slaves from other neighboring nations to seek refuge as slaves in the nation of Israel because they would be treated better. And if a slave came to the nation of Israel, it was illegal for them to then take them back to their master. That, that was something that they weren't allowed to do because the laws were so strict in protecting uh, this vulnerable group of people. But another thing is that slavery was not for life. Typically, it was like a six or seven year contract. And then when the time was up and freedom was there, it wasn't just like, thanks fella, you're out of my house now. It was the, the master had to give the slave everything they needed to be able to have a life on their own now. So they weren't left totally destitute. They were able to, to move on and, and start their own home and family. And additionally, Israel did something so great. I wish we did this. Every 50 years, they did something called the Year of Jubilee. It was like a magical, wonderful thing where everyone's debts were forgiven and all the slaves were set free. Yeah. Oh, it's like the best thing ever. It was a reset every 50 years. So if you were in your slave contract and you're only a year in, but hey, it's the Year of Jubilee. Awesome. You know, and that's how it was. But once in a while, rather, the contract was up or it was the Year of Jubilee and, and uh, the owner says, hey... Here's all the stuff you need to be able to make a life of your own. God bless. Once in a while, a slave would say, I cannot leave you. I love you too much. Too much. I'm going to choose to be your bond slave. That's the, so there's the difference, slave and bond slave. And the bond slave made a life commitment. If you were a bond slave and the year of Jubilee happened, you're still a bond slave the next year. And when they chose to be a bond slave, out of this great love for the household that they were serving, they did something very weird, because ancient people were very weird, not just, not just Israel. They were weird all over in ancient times. And they would go to the doorpost of their master and take a dowel and pierce their ear to the doorpost. See, ancient people are just... They're weird like this, but, but it was signifying two things. One, it would mark their body in a public way. So if they're at the market and the square, whatever, people will see they have a hole in their ear. They know what that means. That person is Bonsley. The other thing is the doorpost. The doorpost has some significance here. You remember in um, Passover in Egypt, they had to sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Okay? Here we have the doorpost. It's one, one thing is, is a, a threshold. When you cross into this zone on the other side of the doorpost, you're now in the, the territory, the kingdom, the will of the owner. That's their space. And the doorpost signifies that. So when they would nail their ear to the door, that's what they're saying. I am forever committed to what's in this house, to this kingdom, to this way, to this way. So this is what Mary says. <laughs> They're like, hey, you're going to carry the Christ. It's going to be rather shocking. Y your life might be in danger. The angel didn't tell her that part, but that is the truth because execution was what they could do for a woman who was pregnant out of wedlock. They, she could be stoned and killed for this. And she said, 
I am the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your will. Okay. She didn't have an ear pierced. She didn't have that kind of marking, but she was saying yes to a life marked by allegiance to God. Her life was marked by a big round belly out of wedlock. Okay. The slave back then, it was their ear. In Galatians, Paul says, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. He was talking about how he had been like whipped and beaten because of, of following Christ. All three of these things, the earlobe, the pregnant belly, the, the being beaten, these lines, are marks on the reputation. Everyone sees and can make their judgments now about what that means. What that means. Oh, why did they choose to stay at that master's house? What's going on over there? Oh, so she's pregnant out of wedlock. I wonder why Joseph stuck around with her. And the government beats this guy up. What is he doing wrong? They are saying yes to Christ, to God above all things as a bondservant, knowing that it opens up to speculation and the consequences of speculation, which are sometimes death. That's what Mary said yes to, a full posture of yes. And the other thing was she, it was the doorpost of God. She was saying yes to this household, to this doorpost. You know, what comes to mind for me as my favorite psalm is Psalm 84, Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So the question begs, how did she do this? We see this girl. She was young, 13, 15 years old. How? How did she have the posture that didn't just say, sure, I'll be an available womb, not just a, a, a yes to this one thing, but a whole life posture that puts her life aside and what God wants. How did she do it? And I think the answer to that is when we look at a bond slave. When a slave said, I want to be a bond slave, what was the motivating factor? Love. It was love. And that tells me Mary knew God. She may have been young, but she had spent her time going to the temple. She'd been saturated in this culture. She'd heard the teachings. There was at least a part of her, maybe not all of her, but there was a part of her that knew God. And to know God is to know love. And love is what makes a freed slave say, I don't want my freedom. I don't want it. I want this love, this house, your ways more than anything else. So much so that I will mark my body so that everyone knows. Love. She knew God. Now, I'll say it may not have been all of her, right? She was really young. I mean... And she's also just human, like the rest of us. She didn't need to know God and his love with every fiber of her being. Christ tells us all she needed was a mustard seed, just a tiny little kernel. That's all that's needed, nothing more. We don't have to be spectacular faith giants. I call it the dental floss 
part of me that is made perfect in love. <laughs> because sometimes I'm like tracking along and I just, I trust in God and I feel his love, but there are other times that it is only a piece of dental floss holding me together. And when that happens, I cling to that tiny little thread because I'm a bondservant of the Lord and that's what I need to hang on to. And that's what she did. So here's the, the takeaway. Spend time with God. <laughs> That's something you probably have heard in church a lot. But I, I mean it. Make it a, a choice to, to alter your day, your week. Your, look at your calendars in such a way that there are times that you are, with intention, stepping into his presence to be saturated with that love. There are lots of ways to spend time with God and to know him. If, if you have no idea of what that way would be, or maybe you've been doing something or taught a certain way in church your whole life, and it's just dry, and it does nothing for you, or maybe it triggers some, some old spiritual trauma, please know there are many, many ways, and we would love if, if you would talk to us, if you would share your story, we'd love to share. As many as there are people in the room here are probably the different ways that we can connect with the God of the Scriptures and with Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we encounter the love that makes you make crazy decisions like pierce your ear to a door. The other practice that I want to recommend is a new concept to me in the last year. Um, it, it's called indifference. Now, I know the word indifference. It sounds like apathy, but that's not what this is. Apathy is like not caring. Indifference is actually a very deep, passionate caring. It's a pra Christian practice by St. Ignatius of Loyola, and it's the idea that you are indifferent to everything except God and the will of God. Well, the thing is, we know that God is love, and his will for us is to love other people, and all kinds of things that fall under that category. So if you are practicing as, as a spiritual discipline, which is sort of like going to the gym a little bit and to work out your, your faith in a practical way, when you do that, you are going to be a very loving person, not an apathetic, uncaring, unaffected person. But what it means is we recognize, we recognize when we practice indifference that everything that we have is just a gift. My health is a gift. My relationships, my resources, um, even my talents. You know, I didn't put those in me. All those things are just gifts. And, and what they're here for is to be wonderful tools to help me to know God more, to love him more, to serve him more, and to open me up more to receive his love. That's what all those gifts are for. And some days I may not have my health, and I may not have my resources, and I may not have my uh, relationships, and I may even lose some talent. <laughs> but I can still love God more, know God more, serve him more. I can still open myself up even more to receive his love. And that's what the practice of indifference is. There are prayers for indifference, which is pretty simple. It's just being honest, like, I don't have indifference. Can I have some? <laughs> but then there's also prayers of indifference. And this Advent, I just love this. The, the services have been started with the welcome prayer uh, that, that says things like, um, 
you know, I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, and approval. I let go of power and control. It's this shedding, shedding, a lot what Amy was sharing last week. And then it ends with, I open myself up to the love of God and God's action within. That's an example of a prayer of indifference. Indifference. One teacher of indifference says, God's love and friendship are the fountain of indifference. So that just goes right back. Spend time with God. And, and talk to others about how they do that. How, the, how do they experience the presence of God so that we can take this coin of Mary's and spend it in our life, that our heart would connect with her. This young girl is our matriarch, a matriarch of our faith. And we can take the treasure that, that was forged in that room. God, I thank you so much that you are actively at work in every heart in this room. There is no one in this room that is left unseen. If people are at home, they are not unseen by you, and you love us, each of us, deeply, know us intimately, and you want us to know you so well that we too can say like Mary, I am your bondservant. Would you bring us to this place, bring us in the presence of your love, that we might know you more, love you more, serve you more. In Jesus' name, amen.